Magazines and Monsters, Episode 32, A Ghost Story for Christmas from 1971. There's nothing to fear. Nothing at all to fear. Hey, everybody. Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange, back with another episode of Magazines and Monsters. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, as I'm going to be talking to a brand new guest and about two really cool television films from the 1970s over in the UK. Uh, but first things first, welcome to the show, Pete Dory. How are you, Pete? I'm good, Doc. I'm really good. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Awesome. So you and I have been friends on Twitter and interacted um, a lot because we both have a love for comics and then uh, yeah. for these uh, films as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As, as we were just saying, you know, they were real big over here in the 70s. Yeah, I'm not sure when they made it over to the States, because you know, sometimes there's a little lag or a really huge lag, you know, depending on the material or whatever. But, you know, I didn't see these... Uh, two that we're going to talk about today uh, for those uh, of interest here we're going to be talking about a ghost story for christmas uh they were you know annual uh, british uh, television films broadcast on the bbc uh, one i think and uh, at christmas time from 1971 to 1978 correct that's right yeah 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 there were eight installments i have only seen the two we're going to talk about today and then another one we briefly mentioned uh, in conversation before we started recording here. But uh, the ones we're going to talk about today is the very first one, which is uh, The Stalls of Barchester. Uh, that, like I said, 1971. I think that came out like mm -hmm. somewhere right yeah. around Chris Christmas as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, always at Christmas. Always at kind of midnight, quarter to midnight, something like that. Wow, that's neat. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> And then, uh, like I said, the other one we're going to talk about is uh, probably the most critically acclaimed one, and we'll get into that later, and as to probably why, is uh, The Signalman from 1976. But, uh, yeah, so what are some of your, you know, experiences with these uh, from when you were younger? They just always seem to be on. Um, I mean, as we, was, as we were saying, kind of every Friday, what they would do is they would show an old Universal picture followed by a hammer. Um, and in my memory, you know, childhood memory kind of confuses things, but I think they would do that leading up to Christmas and then the big thing would be the, the ghost story for Christmas. Um, and back then, TV ended at midnight, half past midnight. So it was the ghost stories were the very last thing that you watched and then you had to go to bed in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they really pitched them perfectly. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I can remember back in the day when I think television, I don't know if it was midnight over here, like 1 a.m., something like that. It would go yeah. off the air and some kind of crazy picture would be on the television and just this yeah. really annoying sound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it was exactly the same for us. Yeah. <laughs> and then they would say, you know, make sure you've unplugged your TV. And yeah, we've unplugged the TV. It's fine. Thank you. We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're off to bed to have nightmares. <laughs> yeah, really. But oh, and I did want to mention too these, uh, you know, uh, television films were adaptations of short stories most of them by mr james and then uh, the signalman was charles dickens so you know a lot of people know dickens but maybe not mr james but uh, mm -hmm. he's also you know pretty you know if you're into uh, 
horror, supernatural, that kind of stuff, you know, uh, authors, you would probably not recognize that name as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, one thing I did find interesting is, you know, the Signaman we're going to talk about second, but just because I don't want to forget is I didn't realize that, you know, Dickens actually was in a, a rail accident and, you know, partially based that Signalman on <laughs> being in that That's accident. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I found that out today as well because, like yourself, <laughs> I did a bit of research and I didn't know that either. So, but, but apparently it haunted him all his life, this experience. Um, yeah. Yeah, as it would, because trains were a new thing. You know, it was, I guess, the equivalent of us crashing in a 3,000 mile an hour car to them. Mm, yeah, and then I think his was kind of on a, I don't know if I want to say a bridge, but something like that where the car he was in was kind of teetering that if it would have it fallen was. off. Yeah, he would have yeah, yeah, gotten yeah. killed. Yeah, yeah, and history would have been very different. Um, yeah, it was, apparently. Yeah, I didn't know that till today either. Yeah, like I said, I don't, I'm not huge unless I'm going to talk about something and researching it because I usually just watch, you know, something, a film or a television show or listen to music or whatever, uh, you know, for the entertainment value. But if I'm going to talk about it, I try to look something up. And that's yeah. why somebody's like, you just found that out now. And I'm like, well, yeah, because I, do <laughs> yeah. I don't do my homework. I'm out of school a long time. I don't do homework anymore. No, unless... uh, no, no, I agree. <laughs> I agree totally. Uh, yeah. Unless I'm going to talk about it. I'm not doing homework anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, which, you know, speaking of not doing homework. So. As I've gotten older, I keep getting lazier, too. So normally what I would do is write a summary or synopsis for what I'm going to talk about, whether it's a comic or a film. Sometimes when I do it for a film, I think it's a little silly because it's usually a film that's very popular with who would be listening to my podcast anyway. So they mm. kind of know what the film's already about. But I am actually, you know, for the two we're going to talk about today, uh, uh, Steel, uh, a.k.a. Borrow. Some uh, little short summaries that uh, are on IMDb for both of these. But uh, like I said, the first one, yeah, The Stalls of Barchester. So this one uh, is uh, to give a quick little uh, summary. Uh, a scholar, Dr. Black, played by Clive Swift, is engaged in cataloging the collection of the library of Barchester Cathedral. He is finding the work heavy going as there is little of any real interest within the collection and the librarian is proving less than helpful. However, the cathedral... I'm sorry. However, the librarian and Dr. Black discover a box of documents pertaining to a former archdeacon of the cathedral. Black begins reading the diary of Dr. Haynes, an ambitious cleric who finds his promotion to the position of archdeacon blocked by a geriatric incumbent who seems like he will never vacate the position. The impatient Haynes, played by Robert Hardy, seems to conspire to hasten the archdeacon's death and is duly appointed archdeacon. However, his diary reveals that once in post, Haynes becomes increasingly disturbed as he is plagued by unnerving events, both within the cathedral and his own home. And that was uh, Mark Wood was the uh, person I borrowed that from. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> but so yeah, fair. so yeah, so I mean, like we said, this one is uh, this one's really interesting. When you get uh, religion involved in horror too, that's always something too. It's uh, I think that's a, a good springboard for a good story there. But yeah, this was uh, produced, directed. And the screenplay, uh, screenplay by Lawrence Gordon Clark. And like I said, story by M.R. James. Uh, and the cast, Robert Hardy as Archdeacon Haynes. And Clive Swift as Dr. Black. And Will Layton as the librarian. And Harold Bennett as uh, Archdeacon Pulteney. So, uh, yeah. So that's what's a uh, small cast. You know, there were a couple of tiny little players in this one, too. Thelma Barlow as Latita Haynes. You know, uh, the sister of uh, Archdeacon Haynes. But... So overall, big picture, what did you think of this one? 
I loved it. And I love all those actors. Um, mm. I mean, the, the, the first thing I, I want to say about it, Billy, that's interesting personally to me, that I didn't realise until I rewatched it over the weekend, because it had been years since I'd seen it, mm -hmm. is that it's actually filmed where I live. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's actually filmed in the city of Norwich. Norwich, um, yeah. And I was I was watching it and thinking, that's Norwich Cathedral. Those are the houses in in the grounds of Norwich Cathedral, uh, which is literally a mile from where I now live. Um, wow. So that so that was kind of wild. <laughs> that's great. Uh, um, but it's it's a great great cast. Robert Hardy is always great in anything he does or did. Mm. Um, he kind of he kind of cornered the market in these very. Um, I hesitate to say bullies, but very uh, take control, take charge kind of patriarchs. That character that he plays in the Stools of Barchester, he always kind of played that character. Mm. Um, you know, no nonsense. And the interesting thing, again, to, to an English audience, is that all of those actors that you just mentioned, were, including Hardy, really, were sort of raised in comedy. They were from sitcoms and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so to see them do the dramatic stuff was really interesting but in term in terms of the story itself it it really does take some interesting turns and it really you know how it ends and we don't want to spoil it if no one's seen it but how it actually ends it suddenly turns into this bizarre dennis wheatley satanic mm -hmm. almost lovecraftian thing which the mm -hmm. ashtray does another one of them the ashtray does as well and it really grabs you by the throat and takes you by surprise doesn't it oh because absolutely because it's kind of, you know, because as, as I'm sure people know, M.R. James was a don at um, King's College, Cambridge. And so he would write these stories and then tell them to his students every Christmas. Um, so it's all very much based in that kind of cloistered world of colleges and dons and these very repressed people. Um, and when when this starts... You're kind of oh yeah I know where this is going this is fine this is this is this kind of thing and then it just becomes something mm. <laughs> apocalyptic almost doesn't it <laughs> yeah it really does like and I I mean I like from the beginning that you know they they uh, you know 1971 when this came out it, it's not like you know there was uh, the world wasn't where it is now back then obviously and no. you know to to show certain things happening in a religious environment was still pretty. I don't know if the edgy is quite the word for it, but th that was happening in films around this time. But, you know, you feel like something like like The Wicker Man that hadn't come out yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, some of those films that were sort of like that full car religious hard hadn't come out quite yet. But, you know, you, I love the professional jealousy there of, uh, mm. you know, Arch uh, Haynes there in the beginning where he's like, he really wants that guy's job. <laughs> I really yeah. like that. How they showed yeah. that. And it's and it's all kind of unspoken, but very much there. And just just while I think about it, when when you do watch some of the other ones, Billy, there's one called A Warning to the Curious, and Clive mm. Swift turns up in that as the same mm. character, which is really interesting. Um, turns up as Doctor Black again. Um, so he was again. He was almost like a sort one of those sort of Lovecraftian characters who wanders into these weird universes. And he's the only one who escapes unscathed, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And then, too, I love how, you know, in the early stages, you know, once the old man dies and Haynes takes over, you know, he starts having visions, you know, dreams, nightmares of the, the old man dying. And mm. then he, he has these feelings that he's, you know, not alone in the house and in the church. And 
stuff mm. like that and hearing voices but you're not sure at this point if it's you know actual ghosts or it's just he's 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 going mad mm. yeah and he's and he's he thinks he's going mad and and mm-hmm. even at the end i'm i was like that i mean i think that is the great thing about the mr james stories he doesn't explain everything mm-hmm. um i'm not sure it is a ghost uh, because there's the cat, there's there's that hand. Um, <laughs> without spoiling it, there's that there's that hand. Um, there's the noises, there's the laughing and the singing. It's almost like he's being haunted by thirty or forty different ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just he's unleashed something by by murdering the old deacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then I like to at one point, yeah, like you said, he's the cat. He's like a, you know seeing this cat or cats uh, all over the place like a almost like they're like torturing him mentally <laughs> but then yeah, he asks perhaps. one of the servant people kind of like you know hey something about a cat no there's no cat around here what are you talking about so again that yeah. made me think is this like he's just really going nuts or what yeah absolutely and i think there's also the guy who works in the cathedral who's very smarmy and very smiley and clearly knows more than he's letting on you know he says oh i saw mm-hmm. you with doctor whoever it was um maybe he's a ghost that's always the thing with james you never know um i mean again you know we'll talk about the signalman later i think one of the characters in that is a ghost mm-hmm. but it isn't but it isn't stated outright yeah so. yeah yeah and like i said that's always to me that's a good that's a mark of a good writer and even a good film it it, it takes you just about where you need to go but then stops and you know that's sometimes the more scary horror supernatural kind of things to me are where you know, you, you get to see some things, but, you know, what you might think of and make up in your mind, you know, is even scarier or worse. Of course. Yeah, of course. But this has both, doesn't it, in a way? It does mm-hmm. that, as I say. And then in the last 10 minutes, it just goes hell for leather. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It just, just punches you in the face, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not kidding. And that was one that, like I said, I just, I, I thought the cinematography was quite good. You know, there's a lot of uh, scenes that are very dark. So mm-hmm. like, you know, where I watch downstairs here at my house, uh, there are these really bright overhead lights that kind of reflect off the television. So if it's a really dark scene, it's hard to see what's going on. So I shut those off and put just one tiny little light on. <laughs> and that seemed to make mm-hmm. everything so much better, not only just visually, but also with, you know, the, the intensity of, like I said, is he going mad here? Are these things really happening? And, you know, you just yeah. it, it keeps you guessing. Yeah, I mean, you, you you know, that's that's absolutely what I used to put them on at quarter to midnight. You have to watch this stuff at night. You have to watch it with all the lights off, and you kind of have to watch it on your own. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just not going to be scared. I mean, I you know, I genuinely did feel uncomfortable when the voices started. Mm-hmm. Um, so it still works on me, and I've seen every like you probably have. I've seen every damn horror movie ever. So. <laughs> <laughs> but. It did make me feel uncomfortable. And then when the when the cat came in, I was like, oh, it's just a cat. It's fine. When the hand, oh, it's just a hand. It's fine. It is that unspoken stuff that's the scary stuff. Yeah, and, just, and then, go ahead. Oh, just brilliantly played by all the actors, as you would expect from all of them, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you alluded to the fact earlier, too, where, you know, uh, in the church, you know, there are these carvings. And, you know, you just think, you know, they're a bit odd to have in a church. And then there's like a whole backstory about that as well. Like this mm. was all, this is only about what, between 45 and 50 minutes long, 50 minutes long, you know, give or take. And there was a lot packed into this that, well, this could have been two hours or at least an hour and a half long of a movie, you know, yeah. when they kind of went out into the forest and, 
you know, the old man tells uh, mm. Haynes about the story about what happened out in that forest where the wood was cut down, you know, to make these, you know, carvings and stuff like that. It's really creepy. Yeah, I mean, that's Wicker Man stuff, isn't it? I mean, it's mm -hmm. um, and particularly, you know, in the UK, we have this this history of paganism before before Christianity. So they really tapped into that stuff as well. And in the 70s, there was a real there was a real um, upsurge in paganism and, and interest in paganism. And there were a lot of TV shows that tapped into that stuff. But yeah, just that little section in the woods by itself is wonderful. Um, and and again, it goes in a different direction. You, like I say, you think it's just the ghost of the deacon, but it isn't. There's, he's, as I say, he's unleashed maybe more than one or two things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for all, sure. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then, like I said, when they're in the forest and they say about how the one tree was cut down to make, mm. you know, carvings and this and that. I think the old man says something about they found, you know, all sorts of uh, bones from corpses that were <laughs> mm. underneath that tree i was like yeah. wow bones of witches i would think that was mm. that was the suggestion yeah um, and i i also love the fact that i don't know if you noticed but right at the very end when uh dr black finds out part of the story and then he kind of wanders off into the background and the credits start rolling a cat walks towards the camera <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but I thought obviously that just happened, and they went, "Oh, let's go with that. Let's keep that." You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wondered if that was supposed to be that way, or if that's just you know. I just think that was. I think that, yeah, I think that was a lucky accident. They went, "Great, keep that," because <laughs> you would, <laughs> wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Especially after how this film, like we said, you know, there are these cats running around, and he mm. apparently, you know, Haynes apparently is the only one that can see them. <laughs> mm. Yeah, he's the only one who can see any of it. Yeah, and it's weird that his sister just sort of disappears from the story as well. There's a lot mm -hmm. of there's a lot of him saying, "Oh, she visited me, or my friend visited me," and then they left. And you mm -hmm. think, well, did they visit you? What happened to your sister or your friend? Because we we didn't see them again. Did they exist? Were they ghosts? Mm -hmm. It's a little. It kind of reminds me a little bit of um, "Don't Look Now." Mm. Oh yeah. That's strange. You're not quite sure what you you're watching, um, and it's that kind of unreliable narrator thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we've only got Clive Swift's word for what's happening. We've only mm -hmm. really got Robert Hardy's word for what's happening. That's what's that's what's brilliant about it. Yeah, for sure. And and I know, you know, like we said, uh, this 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 kind of takes you right to the edge there, but then you know doesn't you know actually reveal or say this is what happened and i think yeah. sometimes you can go too far in the other direction too that some movies they just leave things way too ambiguous that you have to figure too much stuff out in your head and you know they yeah. kind of that kind of loses me too sometimes but this this got it just right yeah oh yeah those kind of films um I, I, i'll do a little bit of work but I won't, you know <laughs> you need to, you need to give me something you know <laughs> yeah and then you know like we were saying too i said you know about how the professional jealousy in the beginning there of, uh you know robert hardy's character you mm -hmm. know wanting the old man to finally just you know kick the bucket so he can take his job but i almost mm -hmm. felt like a couple of times there you know uh, the actor harold bennett uh he would come out his uh a door in the morning and haynes and his sister would be going for a walk in the morning and he good morning young man and i almost felt like he was doing it just to say to him i'm still here buddy he was he was absolutely <laughs> that's absolutely what he was doing <laughs> he's like hey yeah he's like hey pal i'm here yeah. you're not getting my job yet and I, it did just 
I did like too at the beginning too, where they, like I said, they would show that part of the old man, and then them walking by and him, sh- you know, shouting out to him. They showed yeah. that maybe like four or five times, and then you, you know, you found out that that was like a year, like a year would pass every time they showed that. Yeah, yeah, and they'd have they'd have these kind of solitary parties mm-hmm. with just three of them going long life oh, <laughs> oh god you're still alive <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great that's but that great was, but that, sorry but that again that was the funny thing for me about harold bennett being in it because he is most famous for playing a character called young mr grace mm. in a sit in a sitcom where everybody is waiting for him to die so <laughs> So it's it's like that was his whole career, you know. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's funny. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, that makes it even way funnier. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So even in nineteen seventy one, people would have gone, Oh, it's young Mr. Grace, he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> he still didn't die. Wow. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, and I did forget to mention, you know, uh, like you said, uh of course, everybody from uh, England would recognize Robert Hardy from a ton of things. But over mm. here in the States, anybody that's a big Harry Potter fan of the films, he's in mm. those. A, is, few, yeah. a, a few of those. And then uh, I didn't even realize, too. And I have to go back and look. You know, it said uh, Clive Swift as Dr. Black, but he was in uh, Excalibur, uh, which I'm mm. a huge fan of that fantasy film. And I actually talked about it on my show a couple mm, months back before uh, Christmas. And that was a really good one. And I can't remember what character he played now. I'm sure it was something a little more minor, but I'm going to have to go back and watch that again now and uh, keep an eye out for him. Yeah, I think uh, I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen Excalibur, but yeah. it's it's yeah. Clive Swift is just one of those actors who's in absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. You, just, you know, you just certainly like, oh, it's him again, you know. Um, <laughs> But again, a big sitcom actor, which is just hilarious. Um, and and as I say, he turns up twice in these things as the same character. Um, yeah. And he's brilliant. And they're and, and again, they're also nothing's spoken. They're also repressed. And um, you know, he's clearly incredibly annoyed about the librarian, but mm-hmm. you know, he just kind of puts up with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, uh, overall, I would. You know, this is like a, a nine out of 10 for me. I really, really enjoyed this one. You know, mm. like we said, for a lot of reasons, every everything about this was great for me. I The only part is one time kind of like instead of having just the bookend scenes of the librarian and Dr. Black, you know, they they instead of having just beginning and end, they kind of like popped in a couple of times in the middle. And mm. I kind of thought, well, that really didn't add a whole lot to you know, the story itself, it was, it was good and sometimes humorous with them bantering back and forth. But I thought, well, I would have rather more of the other, you know, the, the actual story itself, maybe than them bantering yeah. back and forth. That's a really slight, slight, tiny nitpick there. That's about the only thing I could say, you know, about yeah. it. But other than that, love it. That's, that's a fair point. I mean, I've never read any of the original stories. I really should do that. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if Dr. Black was, was a, a, a recurring character, uh, maybe, maybe that maybe he was, and maybe they thought, well, there are M.R. James fans who like him. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, I'd, I'd I'd probably agree with that as well. Yeah. So, any final thoughts on this one? Uh, everybody should watch it, and everybody should watch it. <laughs> everybody should watch it with the lights off at midnight on their <laughs> own. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I, I think you know they they both they all stand up but you know they they apart from a few things like the music they really could have been made yesterday mm-hmm. um they really really do stand up 
Yep, totally agree. Completely yeah. agree. Completely agree. So, okay, well, let's move on to our next one. Like I said, the Signalman, and then this one was from uh, 1976. You know, five years later, and like I said uh, earlier, uh, off of a short story by Charles Dickens, who, of course, everybody knows that. We don't need to go into him, but uh, <laughs> you know, director again, Lawrence Gordon Clark. And I think Andrew Davies was uh, the guy that wrote the screenplay. And we have Denholm Elliott as uh, the signalman, you know, mm. and you and I also talked about him. You know, he's very, you know, everybody sees his face. You know him from something, you know, maybe yeah. depending on from which part of the world you you grew up, it'd be my little different. But you will recognize this guy's face. He's been in a ton of television and movies. Well, I think most people will recognize him from Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's Indiana Jones's pal, isn't he? Mm hmm. Um, that's that's that was his big thing but you know again we he was in everything over here when raiders came out we were like oh dan Elliott's in it well of course he is he's in everything so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah one of my favorite things he's in though is uh he plays the butler in trading places yes oh my gosh <laughs> yes. he's great he was, so, he was so great that's one of my favorite comedies i love that film it's hilarious so um yeah. and then we have uh Bernard Lloyd as the traveler. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's a couple other smaller parts too, but those two guys are really the only, it's, it's really a, a two man show here. So, you know, yeah. not a, a whole big cast to go over, but uh, yeah, pretty, this is a pretty good one too. And like I said, this is, you know, one that a lot of people would point to as, you know, the most critically acclaimed and whether it's the best or one of the best or not the best, you know, for whatever reason people might say, like you said, Denholm Elliott was a, you know, a big deal. So a lot of people probably just gravitated towards this one because he was in it and he was so good in it. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, well here, I'll just do a quick uh, synopsis on this one too. And then we'll jump into this one. So a traveler, Bernard Lloyd sees a railway signalman played by Denholm Elliott in a lonely location. The signal box is situated between two steep sided hills close to the entrance to a tunnel. The traveler shielding his eyes from the glare of the sun with one arm waves to the signalman and cries out, Hello below there. But he is puzzled when the railway worker not only does not reply to him, but actually seems to be afraid of him. When the traveler reassures him that there is nothing to fear about him, the signalman welcomes the stranger into his signal box and begins to tell him a remarkable story. So, all right. What about this one, Pete? I, I think it it does slightly pale in, in, in compared to the stalls of Barchester. But what's fantastic about it is that two men act you know they're they're stuck in that little upstairs office um that little railway office and and we learn about um the signalman's life is and his regrets and um the fact that he's being haunted by the future he's being haunted by a future ghost as we find out later mm -hmm. um and i think it's fantastic performances from both of them and elliot the thing that he did better than almost anybody was sweaty panic um and he's, he excels at that here you know you you don't know why he's terrified but he's clearly terrified and again he's kind of repressed and he doesn't want to tell the traveler what what the deal is um and i'm not again i'm not convinced the traveler is real i think he uh. might be a ghost um <laughs> could be <laughs> yeah because i think you know like the, the face might be the traveler's face um but yeah, it's it's kind of um, you could you could almost do it as a as, as a stage play. It's I'm trying to think of the word. It's uh, you're right in that office, that tiny office with them um, for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know that it scared me, but it did enthrall me. It, it did just, you know, I had to keep watching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What oh, for sure. Think? Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, it's pretty good. It's not as, you know, uh, you know, as, as creepy or scary as Barchester, Stalls of Barchester, but it does keep you, you know, enraptured. And like I said, I, you know, we talked about, I think it's because of, you know, Elliot and Lloyd, I think they're both so good and, they're great that you know the dialogue is really good and what's really happening or what we think is happening you know or, or what Denholm Elliott's character you know what the signalman thinks is you know really happening again you're not sure you're not sure if he's really seeing these things if it's you know nightmares he's having if it's just it's ghosts or like you said is this you know obviously that you know, we we find out without giving too much away like what he's you know seeing in his mind or whatever that's what's gonna happen eventually here in the uh at the end of the uh, film. So it does yeah. keep you really locked in. And again, this one's even shorter. This one's only, you know, like a little less than 40 minutes, yeah. you know, about, about 38 minutes. So it, it, it really does keep you, you know, focused on what's going on that entire time. Yeah. And I don't think it, it could have been longer. It would have, it, it would have run the risk of being tedious or any longer than that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's, as you say, it's the closed inness that works mm-hmm. um and and you know the face is very creepy the first time mm-hmm. we see it. um and i and i do still think even though it's dickens and not james there is still something unexplained about it as i say the face kind of does look like the traveler and i'm not wholly convinced that the traveler is a real person i think mm-hmm. he might be a ghost as well again it's that unreliable narration thing isn't it yeah um you're you're never entirely sure what's happening yeah and like we said you know it's it, the whole thing almost takes place just in these this small area of the grounds that are like in this cutaway from you know tunnel for yeah. a, a train to come through and then the tiny little like i said like the little box that they're in there which is you know barely has enough room to move from yeah. one side of the room to the other but i do like you know like you said some of the things that are a little what like what's going on here where you know, Denholm Elliott's character, you know, he hears this like ringing like this bell and he turns and looks, but the bell never rang. And of course, the traveler is like, what's what's your problem? What's going on here? He, <laughs> yeah. and he said it happens two nights in a row. And he's just like says about it. And he's like, I was listening. There was no bell. It did not ring. And, you know, it's just you're, you're thinking. So was that just, you know, the signalman that heard it? Was he the one that was only meant to hear it? Like, what's really going on here? And that's I like yeah. that part of it. Yeah, I think he was meant to hear it, and it's and it's also it's beautifully photographed. I mean, it is a mm. very, considering it is just two men sitting in an office talking for most of it. It is visually beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. You know that they really use those actors' faces perfectly, and as I say, nobody did repress panic better than Elliot. He was fantastic at it <laughs> in, pretty, <laughs> in pretty much everything. He's like. Ugh. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah he, yeah oh, yeah he plays a very good uh worried you know uh scared not knowing what's going on here but yeah there were some really good moments of dialogue between the two of them you know like when the traveler's yeah. kind of asking him about you know what do you do to pass the time around here because this would drive me nuts kind of you know and you know he says you know i oh, I'd study a little bit of mathematics and this and that and, you know try to do this and that and you know, the guy just kind of looks at him like, wow, you know, all you have to do is, you know, ring a couple of bells and send a couple of telegrams a day and, you know, maybe move a couple of uh, tracks from here to there. But wow, like kind of a very tedious job. And Elliot's character yeah. does say that too. then, like, you know, it's, 
you know, it, the work is never done. And I thought, oh, that's a good line because, you know, everybody else, you know, you have a job where, you know, usually when the shift's over, you go home and tomorrow you go back. But for him, it's, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's just there's it's it's never done. And if he doesn't do what he needs to do or makes a mistake, it could end really horribly for people on a train. Yeah. And I think that's why, again, I think that's why I don't think the traveler is real because he makes a lot of effort to try and make the signalman feel better about himself and, and about his life, you know, because he's clearly an intelligent man who's ended up in a dead end job. Um, so I think it's almost like he's imagined the traveller to make him firstly to give himself some company, but secondly, to bolster him up and make him feel that he hasn't wasted his life. Um, mm -hmm. But in a way, in a way, he kind of has because of what happens to him. <laughs> yeah really <laughs> it's not a, it's not a happy ending so no definitely not i like how the traveler starts to have you know you see him when they're done talking at one you know the two of the nights he walks back to an inn close mm. by i would assume and mm. he ends up having these like nightmarish type visions as well so yeah. that's another thing where i'm just like well so what's really going on here <laughs> like you said is he a ghost is he like what is going on here? It, that, that really threw a, a monkey wrench into it for me, for sure, when it showed him back at the inn and then having these crazy nightmares, too, about this, you know, like, accident. Yeah. I can't even remember what he's even doing there. Why, why is he staying there? <laughs> why, why, yeah. why is he wandering around a train station? Who, who the hell is he? You know? Yeah, that was the first um, thing I wrote down. Where is this random guy walking? From? <laughs> what is he even doing? Doesn't he have a job? Like, what is exactly. going on here? <laughs> I just thought I'd go on holiday and look at, well, people, well, people do go on holiday and look at train stations. But, um, yeah, there's something very odd about the traveler. And, and mm -hmm. we don't really learn anything about him. Um, and a, a little bit like Barchester, I think, um, really through no fault of his own, the signalman has conjured something up. And he's probably conjured up a couple of things, the traveller being one of them. Um, because I know just just reading the thing on Wikipedia that it doesn't end the same way as the printed story. They did mm. add a few. They did add a few things. Um, so maybe maybe they they added that ambivalence to it. Um, mm -hmm. It's a weird. It's a weird one. It's it is a weird one because again, you come away with it. You come away from it not quite sure what you've just watched mm -hmm. which which i love that's you know that's good horror um, yeah it's a, it's a good little mystery i like it i do there's a couple of lines of dialogue too like you know we're saying about the traveler at one point he says he was drawn there you know because mm. the, the denholm elliott's character says i'm like you know why what are you doing here like why'd you come here why'd you come down here whatever he says about being drawn there and you know elliott's character says to him at one point too about you know he mentioned mentions the supernatural and then says, you know, when you go up the hill to go to the inn and then when you come back tomorrow night, don't call out. And of course, mm. you know, Lloyd's character in a traveler is just looking at him like, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I also think there's there's maybe it's a little bit like I don't know if you've ever seen um Children of the Stones, which was a British um serial around the same time, mm -mm. which is which is about um time repeating itself in a in an English village. This kind of feels like this is gonna happen eternally. This is just gonna go round and round and round and round. And these mm -hmm. two men will always meet in this office and what happens to the Sigmar will always happen. There's mm -hmm. a little element of that to it. It's not, it's not very strongly suggested, but I did feel that like this will always, this will just go on forever. Mm -hmm. He's kind of, 
kind of trapped there. Well, he is trapped there, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. <laughs> and, and you feel for him at one point when he kind of, you know, a couple of times, you know, you see, you know, his facial expressions are great. You, you, you know, you yeah. see fear, but then, you know, you also, like you said, you, you see him kind of have an expression on his face where he's, you know, I wouldn't say he's feeling sorry for himself, but he's definitely, you know, looking back on uh, his life and where he ended up and, you know, is kind of sad about it, you know, and that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's good. Again, Elliot, great actor. Great actor. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's an amicus film called the house that drip blood. Oh yeah. An, yeah. He's mm-hmm. it, an anthology and he's, he's a haunted writer in that. Um, and he's, he's fantastic. I mean, he was always great, but yeah, those are the two things that really I remember him for and Raiders, obviously. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was always, he was always good. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one, the signal one. And it is weird as you were saying, Billy, why is it, why is it the one that everybody remembers? And I think mm-hmm. it's, I think it's because of him and I think it's because of the face. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. That's creepy too. We didn't, we kind of mentioned it a couple of times, but at, when he, when Elliot's character, the Sigmund, is recounting this, you know, nightmare he keeps having about, you know, what's going to happen, that there's going to be an accident and this and that. At some point, he's there's this figure, and he he moves. He has his hand up in front of his face, his arm, and when he moves it away, it's almost like a, I don't want to say a statue, but something like that. It's a very creepy, like white plaster, like almost like a a statue mm. face on this body. It's it's pretty creepy. Like a death mask, yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and you just reminded me the weird, the weird bit as well, which I think must be deliberate, is that thing about the hand over the face. When we find out the character that tells us why he had the hand over the face, that's very. He does it in such a theatrical, non-realistic way that you just wouldn't do. Do you know the traveller mm-hmm. says, "Well, wh- what happened?" and he explains. And so I think maybe they're all ghosts. I don't know. But that's that's such a weird, very theatrical move that that actor makes. Mm-hmm. Where I where I it almost took me out of it. And I went, well, why why did he do that? Um, mm-hmm. So again, that must be deliberate. The, I think there's there's maybe that's why it is so remembered because it, again, it, it it rewards repeat viewings. Um, mm-hmm. I must watch it again and see if there there will be things that we missed. You know, mm. like. As we were saying, like, don't look now. There will be things you go, oh, I didn't see that last time. Yes. Um, definitely. Yeah. yeah, for sure, yeah. And then I was a little, uh, another thing I didn't, was like, what do they really mean by this? You know, uh, how, you know, when he's seeing this accident happen, you know, uh, in his nightmares and, you know, daydreams, uh, we see, you know, a, a bride jumping off of the train. Yeah, yeah, so what's that all about? Yeah. yeah, what's that all about, right? And that's really creepy, too. And it's like the train, obviously, you know, there, there was some limitations with what they could do, you know, budgetary. And then, of course, mm. you know, just it, it being 1970s, you know, her jumping off the train, it's not going a, a whole heck of a lot fast. And she doesn't really go that far to the ground. But you do hear this ominous crunch sound as if her neck's been broken. Yeah. That's kind of that's that's creepy. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Almost like whatever is is working its its magic on him is saying, um, well, there's this one and then there's this one and then there's you. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've only got a certain amount of time, pal. Um <laughs> clock's ticking. <laughs> clock's ticking. Yeah, clock's ticking. Clock's ticking and bells ringing. Um mm. yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very odd one. But they they all do that, you know, Barchester does that, the Ashtree does that, um warning to the curious does that you you are kind of left with 
yeah, like I say, you go to bed at midnight, which is when they were originally shown with all the lights mm-hmm. off, and and you don't sleep because you're just running it over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, really. And then, yeah, I did like again, uh, uh, camera work here was great. You know, it's like mm. not outside shots were great. Um, and then at night too, and then there was some fog. It was really creepy. It was they did a really good job here. It reminded me of you know. You know, like you would see, like you said, for maybe even an amicus a film, you know, very, mm. very creepy, good camera work, you know, the fog at night. It was really good. I, I thought that's, again, for a small 38 minute production here, television production, it was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, they used to pour a lot more money into the BBC for things like that. And I am going to sound like an old git now, but this was <laughs> ov- this was obviously pre-CGI. So they had to they had to make it work. They had to go, well, how are we going to do this with what we've got? Um, and that's why that stuff works. And that's, that's why it will last, I think. Yeah. Yeah. For real. I think too, you know, I think that's why I am such a big fan of hammer because mm. you know, the, the, the scripts, the acting with the, the, the set pieces, what they did with a, a very small amount of money, that's to me will be why it always, you know, stands the test of time and holds up. And I think these do too, you know, I really do. Mm. And that's, you know, maybe some modern, uh, people that are more of a fan of modern stuff wouldn't find them, you know, uh, as edifying because there's, you know, more CGI now, like you had said, and more mm. blood and killing and things like that. But, you know, if you you watch these, they're they're really good. They definitely deserve, you know, some of your attention. And I only watched three of them so far, but I, I can't wait yeah. to watch the rest. <laughs> as the Hammers. I mean, I, d- I did a Hammer rewatch um, last year mm. and I watched I watched as much as I could. And a lot of it I had seen already. Um, but some I hadn't, and some of them really, really impressed me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, some people, some people aren't willing to watch old stuff, are they? Um, mm, yeah. You know, I, I don't mind gore and, and CGI and special effects, but I also like um, atmosphere, and I like mm. I like the feel I like the feel of a crew, um, as I say, going right. We've got this amount of money. How the hell are we going to do this? <laughs> let's yep. get creative you know I, lo- mm-hmm. I love that yeah i think that's one thing you know more money and cgi and things like that have done that it, i'm not a big fan of is it's allowed people to be less creative you know yeah, because be, because of that yeah yeah now we do sound like old gits but i think <laughs> i think i think there is a, i do think there is an element of truth in that um it's a it's a tool like anything else and you can you can rely on it too much um, but I'm yeah. sure back then those guys would have would have killed for that stuff, wouldn't they? Oh um, yeah, <laughs> or at least a little more money. <laughs> yeah, or at least a bit more money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for, for sure. I'm sure they are constantly saying, "Can't we just get a little bit more money?" And yeah, you know, but uh, oh yeah, that's great. So yeah, I've got some homework to do. Then I definitely want to see the rest of them and do a rewatch on the Ash Tree because I've only ever yes. seen that one once. But uh, yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. So any any final thoughts here on these guys? What do you think? Go out and get them. Go out and get them. I mean, we were talking about um, the re- the remake stroke new versions. There's um, Mark Gatiss has done uh, five or six new ones over the last few years. I've seen a couple. Um, one of them wasn't very good. I can't remember what it was called. Um, but the one that was on this Christmas, which was called The Mezzotint, was absolutely brilliant. Um, so I'd re- I'm going to delve into those those new ones as well but definitely if anybody out there wants to watch atmospheric incredibly well acted 
um, incredibly well shot horror, go for it, because they will surprise you. Um, Barchester really surprised me with the turn it takes. The ash tree takes an unbelievable turn. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, give them a go. All right. So, all right, Pete. So if anybody doesn't know you or what you are up to as <laughs> far as uh, what you do for a living and the, the writing you do and all that stuff and cartooning you do, uh, how about you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, I, I'm a, like, like everybody on Twitter, I'm a cartoonist. Um, and I've got two things out. Um, I do a thing called Stan and Jack, which is about exactly who you think it's about. <laughs> um, it's basically as if Stanley and Jack Kirby had their own strip in Mad Magazine. Um, and pretty much everybody you can think of from the Bronze and Silver Age are involved. So Ditko's in there, Gil Kane's in there, Wally Wood, uh, Dick Giordano, you name them, they're in there. Um, and it's just a, a real fun comedy piece that fans of, of our generation will, will enjoy. Um, so I've got four issues of that out. And I just put out a thing called The Kids from Wreck Road, which is um, a strip that uh, my oldest friend in the world is Sean Phillips, who everybody knows from Reckless and Pulp and uh, Criminal. And when we were kids, we did a strip about ourselves, teaming up with like Luke Cage and Spidey and Luke Skywalker. Um, And for years, he's nagged me to do it again and bring it back. So we've done a new one. He's done a strip in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, it's about... It's about kids in the 70s larking about, talking about comics and music and movies. Um, And again, just a fun, nice comedy thing. So check them out if that sounds interesting to anybody out there. I'm at PeteDoryBigCartel.com. So that's what I'm up to. Uh And I'm doing, I'm also, I'm doing some cons next year. um, Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So I don't know if you know um, Mark Jackson. Mark makes comics. He's on Twitter as well, as we all are. Mm-hmm. Um, he he does a he does his own kind of small con in Mac, a place called Macclesfield, and it's called Mac Pow exclamation mark. So we're all doing that next year um, in May, I think it is. No, June. Uh, and then we've got Thought Bubble, which is the big independent comic con in. Um, in England, uh, which is in Harrogate, and that I think is going to be October. Um, but if anybody is in the UK or coming over to the UK to Plague Island, as we now call it, um, check them out on Twitter. Everybody's putting stuff up. You know, there'll be lots of announcements of all this stuff. Um, so we're hoping we're hoping to bring cons back as you guys are over there. I know, um, uh-huh. in a safe in a safe way. Yeah, they're starting to come back. You know, it's it's going to take a little time, I think, to get everything right and the the best way to get everybody in there and keep everybody safe. So it's it's going to take some time, but I think they're they're in the right they're going in the right direction right now. I think most of the places yeah. are they're they're doing you know the best they can with them. So it's good to see them start to slowly come back for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, me me and Sean and Mark all did Thought Bubble last year, mm-hmm. um, and it worked, and we all felt safe, and everybody went home, and we were all fine. Um, so yeah, it is it is it is doable. It is doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe just a little less, you know, kind of in your face and personal mm-hmm. like that. But still, hey, to go there and see some creators and get to talk to them and get some good deals on some comics—that's what it's all about. <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, I just spent all weekend talking to people that I had met on Twitter, like yourself. You know, so, <laughs> so it was great. 
Yep, so. absolutely. Yeah, that is awesome. So, and yeah, and if anybody want to look up, look up uh, Pete on Twitter, he's at Pete Dory. Uh, and yep. uh, definitely give him a follow, man. We have a good time. You, me, a lot of good people on there. Like we kind of have a, a bit of a, I don't want to say small group, but I guess when you look at the totality of Twitter, it is a very small group, <laughs> but there is a group of people that interact on there. And, uh, you know, we have a really good time and everybody's nice and cool and respectful. And, you know, some people, they think uh, Twitter gets a bad rap sometimes, but you know, if you, if you seek out the right people and just, you know, stay in that corner, you're going to be fine. Cause you know, like I said, we have a good time on there. I would, I would 100% agree with that, Billy. It's like, you know, everybody calls it a hellscape and it can be, Mm-hmm. You know, there are there are a lot of idiots on there, but in our little comic corner of it, everybody's great, everybody's respectful, everybody wants everybody to do well and talk about their casts or their comics or whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so come and join us, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll have all this stuff in the show notes, you know, about uh, Pete's uh, comics and the website and uh, his Twitter address and all that stuff too. So, you know, definitely, like I said, definitely look him up and definitely hit up uh, – Pete Dory at big cart or I'm sorry, Pete Dory dot big cartel.com for look at your yeah. books there. And I mean, Hey, come on, Stan and Jack, everybody we know should be into that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, Pete, thanks for coming on. I appreciate this tremendously. Uh, I'm going to get to watching some of those other ones too. Uh, very, very mm. soon. Cause uh, I'm in the mood, you know, once you get in the mood to watch something like that, I just, I go all, all in. I just want to go all in. Definitely, definitely. No, I, I enjoyed it. Thanks for asking me. It's nice. Like I said, it's nice to have a chat about stuff that we love. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Love talking comics and uh, horror, supernatural, science fiction films, uh, especially for me, uh, uh, all the stuff from uh, the UK. That's my favorite stuff. Hammer. Cool. The best. So yep. <laughs> nobody yep. will ever knock that off the top for me. So no, um, no. always loving it. So, all right. Well, I'm going to let you go, Pete, and then I'll be back in a minute to wrap things up. Thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. All right, everybody, that wraps up episode 32. Uh, look for another episode in a couple of weeks. Uh, going to be talking about a comic with uh, new guests to the show. So that's going to be pretty cool. And, you know, once again, I want to thank Pete for coming on the show. You know, definitely check him out on Twitter. You know, he's got a great Twitter page. You know, it's at Pete Dory. And, uh, you know, talks about comics and movies and all sorts of fun stuff out there. You know, it definitely is a strip stand and jack. So check that out you know definitely go to petedory.bigcartel.com to check that out and like i said give him a follow on twitter and great guy and again thank you uh, pete for coming on the show it's greatly appreciated and uh, i will catch everybody next time see ya